0: You're listening to Cloud Nine, where Bahaiteachings.org interviews artists from around the globe to learn about what inspires, uplifts, and motivates them to make a positive contribution to the world. My name is Shadi Taloui-Wallace. Nathan Allen Davis is a New York-based playwright. His work provides an honest, powerful, brave, and beautiful insight into the Black narrative in America. Nathan's scripts offer a voice that puts love and hope at the center. His multi-award-winning plays include Nat Turner in Jerusalem, Dontrell Who Kissed the Sea, The Wind and the Breeze, Original Story, and the soon-to-be-released Refuge Plays. Born into a Baha'i family, Nathan got his start in theater as an actor. He's an MFA playwright from Indiana University and a Juilliard Fellow. Today, he continues to write for theater and television. Nathan is also a lecturer at Princeton University and regularly participates in the New York Theater Workshop. In this episode of Cloud Nine, we interview Nathan about his faith and how it informs his identity as a playwright a father and person of mixed race in America. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on Cloud9.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Now you started off your education in acting and then transitioned into playwriting. What motivated you to move behind the scenes and become a playwright? And what did you feel was missing in the theater world and how are you going to address it?
1: It's a great question. Um, It was definitely a process, I think, that, Becoming a playwright was, looking back on it, it seems as if it was meant to be, but I think it took several steps for me to arrive at that place. Uh, And, you know, acting was the, I think for most theater artists, acting is the gateway. Um, It's the most immediate thing you can attach yourself to if you're attracted to the theater, like I am. So I gravitated towards that, but I think once I... Found myself in Chicago trying to juggle full time jobs and an acting career and started having children. I had to ask myself some questions about what I was doing and why and sort of what my purpose was. It kind of forced me to go through some existential questions or to examine some existential questions about what I wanted to do. And I think for me, once I asked myself the question, you know, what do you want to do with your life? writing plays was the immediate answer. And I had tried to write plays and failed throughout my sort of early 20s. And once I arrived in my late 20s and had a couple of kids, I think I just sort of made the choice that I have to push through and and do this. And, you know, being a writer, you're allowed to create the whole narrative to, to make the story, whereas as an actor... You have to sort of be f- find a way to to have some artistic autonomy within someone else's narrative. That was something that I wasn't ever really able to do and feel satisfied with. I think that's a skill that is amazing and awesome that some people do have, but it's not one that I have uh, long term. and so playwriting is where I ended up.
0: Wonderful. Well, during your time at grad school in Indiana and your fellowship at Juilliard, you wrote a number of highly acclaimed plays, including Don Trell, Who Kissed the Sea. You also wrote Nat Turner in Jerusalem, which became an off-Broadway production, and a collection of plays titled The Refuge Plays. All of these stories are rooted in the African diaspora and also feature complex themes such as family, belonging, and truth. Could you share a bit about these stories and what inspires you to contribute to a greater narrative?
1: Don'trell Who Kissed the Sea was the play that I wrote while I was in grad school at Indiana University. And that play, I was writing a play about a young Black man from Baltimore. I'm not from Baltimore, but long story, I ended up trying to write a play that was centered in Baltimore. And he's on his way He basically decides that he wants to go and find a distant ancestor who was lost during the Middle Passage. And so he just decides to take this hero's quest to go and find this ancestor. And the play definitely has some magical elements. It's got humor. It's got a lot of things. But it was essentially me writing something that mattered to me. When I was in grad school, I had an amazing teacher named Ken Weitzman and he's been a teacher and mentor to me since I met him there. And, you know, one of the things that he sort of casually mentioned was the idea of leaving blood on the page, meaning that when you're writing, you're writing to things that, that have uh, meaning to you. And I think, for me, the idea of how do you reclaim a lost history, how do you reconcile um, your identity as a black man in America um, is something that is an inescapable, uh, I guess, test or a trial that you have to, that I have to confront. And so this play is, was a way in for me, you know, to confront that, that truth. It's hard to pinpoint one reason why I think to me, it feels like a sort of inescapable duty or a call or, it's the thing that I gravitate towards, you know, uh, and I think there are, there's so many stories and old and new works that are dealing with the African diaspora and experiences. So I don't feel like I have to write the definitive narrative by any means. It's, it's about, you know, how do I see myself in that story and you know, and I think for me, it's a simple matter of I care about this this stuff. Uh, I want to write characters, um, roles, stories that I want to see, and that's what I want to see. yeah, I think that a lot of times stories that we see, whether and they're not always written by black people, but uh, sometimes they are. But I think a lot of stories that we see it seems as if they have to be rooted in in trauma because there's so much trauma associated with being Black in the world in terms of just looking at our history, what we've been through and where uh, where our stories have come from what what sort of route they've taken, you know, to get to where we are now. And when you're dealing with trauma, I think one of the things that I try to do is Try to be responsive uh, rather than simply reactive, I think especially today we're living in times where there's just a lot of intense emotions around world events and political events and and a lot of fear about what we're seeing in the world and what's happening around the world and for myself, you know I want to try to. Acknowledge and, and respond to what's happening, but to sort of in measured doses provide a little bit of light, a little bit of hope, a little bit of uh, understanding about what it means and where we're going, you know. Um, and so all of it really is just a matter of turning questions over and over again in my head. And not always coming up with definite answers, but continuing to turn through them and then writing about the things that I'm feeling.
0: Now you're essentially becoming this hollow reed, which in the Baha'i writings we often refer to when we're, we're trying to channel... Uh, the truth, the truth of the creator, into into our work and into our efforts. And, and it's beautiful to see how you're finding your truth and your authentic voice and translating that into, into your plays. It's very inspiring. I'd love to move now into the life of the theater itself. Abdul Baha, the son of the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, said that drama is of the utmost importance. It has been a great educational power in the past. It will be so again. How do you believe that the theater can influence and educate the hearts and minds of humankind? And do you believe that the theater is a place where people can find meaning?
1: I think the theater is an inherently spiritual place because as you said, it, it is a place that people, people gravitate to the theater, I think in a way to find meaning, think that we, when we see stories about humanity, we're looking for, okay, what does it mean? Why do people act the way they do? How should we act? How shouldn't we act? You know, These are like the questions that we're asking ourselves, right, about life when we're watching theater. And theater really is rooted in spiritual uh, traditions, you know, throughout the world. Uh, theater has been linked with religious ceremonies and festivals, and so I find that that theater was really built for that. You know, I, I grew up in the Baha'i family, and so that, that quote you read from Abdul Baha is something that I've always had with me since I was young. And so, in a way, it it sort of galvanized me to know that I could pursue this profession and that there was a place for it. Yeah. um, And that it meant something, you know? And I I think that most people that find theater, it it definitely, clearly it means something to them because it's such a difficult profession to make a living in that you have to sort of love it and need it in order to do it. Uh, I think for myself, I don't know that I would have been able to reconcile doing theater only because i like it i think i needed to find i needed to know that there was like a greater purpose to it as well that helped me be able to fully own the fact that i that i love it um and so i think it's a great it was a great blessing for me to sort of have that understanding of the theater growing up uh and and yeah i i think it was a lot of I could, I could talk a lot of directions about like the way that theater manifests itself and all this, but I guess at the core, I do think that because you're dealing with human beings and, you know, according to the teachings of the Baha'i faith, human beings are essentially spiritual in nature. And I think that when you get down to it, when you're watching a play and you're seeing the way that things unfold, the humanity of the people in the play is what resonates the most and no matter what the style of the play is, no matter what the content is, no matter whether the play is considered dark or light or tragic or comic or what have you, I think you, at the end of the day, you have human beings uh, standing in front of you live, right, and going through something, and I think that's an inherently powerful spiritual experience. And I think you can feel it in the theater as I can. Like, uh, there's a certain energy in a room. Um, when you're watching someone perform and when they're telling the truth, you know, I think it's, it can be sort of nebulous of, what is the truth? What does it mean? But I do think there's something that kicks in when people are being truthful, whether it's in the writing or the acting, hopefully both. Right?
0: Definitely. Now, much of your work in theater revolves around the Baha'i perspective of consultation. Abdul-Baha shares that the shining spark of truth cometh forth only after the clash of differing opinions. What has your experience been like when searching for truth through consultation? Yes,
1: I think consultation, something that I certainly practiced growing up uh, as a Baha'i and was around a lot. And I think that, you know, theater is collaborative. And so uh, being able to bring sort of, for myself at least, to, to look at the collaborative process in that light where you're essentially... Going in, assuming that everybody is uh, there for the same purpose or goal, which is to make, in in the context of theater, to make that particular work of art the best thing it can be. And I think for myself, knowing that if I go in with that mindset into a collaborative process, whether it's, say, a, a new reading of a play that I've just written, or workshop, or rehearsal, whatever it is, um, having that mindset, I think has certainly made my life easier, at least in terms of the, uh, the way that I feel about collaborating with people. Uh, it can get sort of, as, as things get toward the, in the later stages of development with a play, it can get kind of intense because, you know, it's your play, you want it to go well. may or may not have the same opinions as other people who are working on it about what should be done. And as a playwright, it's a little easier because really it's your work. And so you do have ultimate control about what decisions are made. But I think like being able to be generous and collaborative while still holding on to your vision is something that is really important and something that my sort of upbringing, I think, helped me be able to cope with.
0: Just to recap on what we've covered so far, we opened up this conversation learning about your introduction into theater and your transition from acting to playwriting. Then we moved into what inspires you to write stories rooted in the African diaspora. Then we talked about the world of theater and life performance and how it's inherently spiritual space. We also just finished talking about the role that consultation plays in theater and your work as a playwright. Now, you've clearly found your purpose as a playwright, but many know that surviving as an artist isn't always easy, and there are even more pressures when you start a family. But the Universal House of Justice, which is the governing body of the international Baha'i community, shares the following quote, which I find so encouraging as an artist. With the evolution of Baha'i society, which is composed of people of many cultural origins and diverse tastes, Each with his conception of what is aesthetically acceptable and pleasing, those Baha'is who are gifted in music, drama, and the visual arts are free to exercise their talents in ways which will serve the faith of God. They should not feel disturbed at the lack of appreciation by sundry believers, rather in knowledge of the cogent writings of the faith on music and dramatic expression." They should continue their artistic endeavors in prayerful recognition that the arts are powerful instruments to serve the cause, arts which in time will have their Baha'i fruition. Now, as Baha'is, we recognize that the cause, which is referenced in this quote, is referring to the teachings of Baha'u'llah and putting them into action through various community building projects. As a playwright, how do you reconcile your purpose and calling with the practical side of things? Are there examples you can give that highlight the ways in which theater can be used as a powerful instrument to serve the cause? And the quote also refers to the arts in time having their own Baha'i fruition. How do you interpret this as a playwright?
1: Well, concerning the practical side of things, the thing that's most Challenging about theater is making a living because theater in the United States is not funded by the state and arts organizations are not able or willing or able, (laughs) mostly able, uh, based on the current financial models, to pay artists enough to live on. And so you have to find a way to, you know, get by. For myself, I'm writing for television, in addition to writing for theater, and that's what's helped sort of sustain, you know, life and been able to feed my kids and all that kind of thing. So there's that side of it. Um, you know, my wife Liz is a real champion and has been really supportive and i think her her ability to juggle multiple tasks uh and sort of adapt to different situations and different places we've lived has been really key i don't know that i would have been able to do any of this really without her Uh, and not only only that but also just the way that she sees me and believes in sort of what I'm doing and is able to reflect, you know, sort of myself back to me sometimes when I'm not seeing it. So that's been key, you know, having, and having a community support, you know, um, having people that believe in me in my life, you know, is, is big. So I think there's, there's that side of it is to sort of keep you going. Um, You know, my, my family, like my parents, my sister, my cousins, everybody that I have kind of grown up around has always given me so much support and like belief. And that that has been, you know, priceless. Um, when it comes to the idea of serving the cause, I think one of the things that I sort of circle back to a lot is in that quotation you read from the Universal of Justice that arts which in time will have their high fruition. So knowing that they are, have not yet had their... Baha'i fruition we don't know what that looks like yet and I think for myself the way I look at it is that doing theater is my service to the cause you know um, and I don't necessarily um, know what it has to look like I think the way that I approach it is how do I how do I write the best plays I can you know how do I how do I take what I understand uh and and, in life and through the teachings of Bahá'u'lláh and how do I use it to further the art form and I think one of the dangers would be if I were to think I know what that's supposed to look like because I don't think I do I think that as a as a theater artist or as a writer you have to sort of be willing and able to embrace the unknown and the mysterious. Uh, and oftentimes you don't know something until you see it and have having to be willing to sort of go out into the darkness with like a candle and, you know, see what you see <laughs> or don't see, uh, not being afraid to fail and make missteps, uh, but having that sort of understanding that you're not doing something in isolation, but for a greater purpose, is definitely uh, really important. And for me, it helps me sort of have the—I don't know if the courage is the right word—but it, ha- it helps me like see the purpose of keeping on. You know, um, in a profession that is very up and down, topsy turvy.
0: Having spoken about purpose, I'd love to now move into the realm of identity and your conception of identity and how it informs Mm -hmm. your work. You're a person of mixed race. Your father is Black and your mother is white. How does your belief in the Baha'i faith inform your identity as a mixed-race person in America?
1: Well, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know I don't quite know exactly how to answer other than to say that as as a Bahai you know we have a lot of teachings about racial unity and I think I growing up in with that understanding certainly made me feel like I have a place in the world, you know what I'm saying? I think when you're mixed race, I I can speak from my experience. You know, sometimes not knowing exactly where you fit in or how people may perceive you, and what you're supposed to do based on the racial structures and systems that have been created can be daunting. I think, I think, I think having the Bahá'í teachings. Made me feel like, all right. Well, there may or may not be a place yet for me in society, exactly the way I want it to be, but there will be, or there should be. You know what I'm saying? So that that's the thing. Uh, and you know, identity is is complicated, and and I think that people of various Identities are, are going to go through different iterations of what that means to them. If that makes sense, yeah, of course. I think that um, you know, I, I just I have to sort of remind myself that I'm a human being, and I think that particularly, you know, being black in America has a sort of a, a mental um, aspect to it. In terms of the way that you have to confront history and yourself and your place in it, that I'm thankful for. You know, I don't, I don't run from that. I don't hide from that. I don't try to avoid that. I think it's necessary that um, we interrogate, you know, what that means because it has implications for the way that the uh, country we live in receives itself and the way it functions. Um, so those are some thoughts. I'm not sure if there's a concrete answer. Maybe there it can't be, but
0: that's okay. I think you've alluded to the fact that it is complicated, but you've shared kind of your own experience with it. I don't think there is a, um, definitive kind of concrete answer that we can come to ever. It's, sure. Yeah. When people ask me, I'm kind of like, I, I just start sweating. And <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do you feel more Persian than you do Australian? I like I don't even know what either feels Constant like, sweats. really. <laughs> all, the, all the sweats. <laughs> now, I know this might be a little bit difficult given our, our just most recent conversation. But how does your faith and mixed racial identity inform your work as a playwright or does it influence it at all?
1: In every possible way, you know. It's sort of infused into everything because I think that when you're writing, you have to write from the lens behind which you stand. <laughs> I don't. Try, I think one of the things in the way that we talk about art, especially, um, is that like we often try to we put a lot of importance on categorizing. What does it mean for this type of artist, that type of artist? Uh, pretty much any type of artist, other than like a white male artist, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we 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 have to we put a lot of importance on, on the categorization. And that's because of power, right? That's because there's a certain aesthetic that has um, already been sort of at least in our minds, predetermined to be standard. Um, so all that's to say that you know I think it's important. For me, that i I acknowledge like, yes, this is who I am, this is my background, uh, but I don't necessarily think of, okay, well, because of this, now, how do I make art that says that? It has to just come naturally out of what I see and what I do, and what I find important. And part of the reason that I'm sort of dodging the question is because I'm sort of like uh, willfully remain ignorant about exactly what or how. I may have arrived at a certain, you know, place in, in writing. Because yeah. I think a lot of times it's sort of mysterious. And I think having a sort of calcified definition of, like, who you are and what it means...
0: And how that informs that your work be, is, yeah.
1: And how it informs your work. Yeah. It can be a little dangerous, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Fair enough. I think it
1: can lead to you, you trying to make a copy of a copy of a copy of something that people will... The thing is that, too, that, <clears throat> that society... Slash culture and people will encourage you in that direction because it's easy because they can they can commodify it they can they can put a price on it they can get their hands around it they can talk about it easily and that makes makes everybody comfortable and it's great in that way but I don't think it's it's the best thing for the art itself if that makes sense yeah uh, I think it's really important to insist on on one's own humanity. And I really think that theater especially is all about the the fact that people are whole individuals that have an, like a, you know, multiple dimensions to their reality and, and anything that threatens that I think threatens to undermine the purpose. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Of, of the, of the art because you're, you're taking something that's complex and making it, making it simple, um, which is great for ideas, but not great for human beings.
0: Right. Cause it's almost limiting potential.
1: But I think, I think the like, what I'm really trying to say is that, um, of course, identity, uh, informs, uh, art, but it, it has so many, strands of connection and ways that it informs that it it almost loses meaning to try to like isolate them yeah and I think it's really about um for for me I have to just circle back to you know my mind my heart my soul what matters to me and just focus on that
0: looking into the future could you share a bit about what you've got lined up. I know that you're working on a Facebook show and also teaching at Princeton University. Could you maybe enlighten us a bit on on what that work is like and, and what else you got planned?
1: Sure. So I'm working on a show called Sorry for Your Loss, which is on Facebook Watch. And that's Facebook's streaming platform. Season one is available if you want to watch it. It's on Facebook. And then currently I'm working on three plays called the refuge plays and it's a sort of epic family drama with some mysticism and some stuff that spans 80 years set in Southern Illinois. And that play, those plays are going to premiere at the McCarter theater in May of 2020. Um, McCarter theaters in Princeton, New Jersey. And I'm also teaching at the university there. Uh, in the fall. And so currently I'm in Los Angeles. I'll be back in New York again in August and, you know, going to keep at it, whatever, whatever that leads <laughs> whatever to the What no that means right now, but I know what it means now, I don't know what it Means in like six months. But
0: yeah, for sure. For sure. We're all learning. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for your time, your generous spirit, and willingness to be honest and share your experiences and insights from behind the scenes. All the best to you, and we look forward to catching up with you again in the future.
1: Oh, thank you, Shadeen.
0: Thank you so much. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Cloud9. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check out Bahaiteachings.org, where you can find more Baha'i-inspired podcasts, videos, and articles.